Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Oh, Coming to you live on tape from the penthouse of a partially completed commercial high-rise in glamorous Hollywood adjacent California from the studios of Sirius XM West boasting an obstructed view of one of LA's leading cement factories this is the Tully show I am your host Mike Tully Joining me today, a comedian, the host of the Inappropriate Earl podcast, and most importantly for the purposes of our conversation today, a fan of not one but two bands featuring bassist Dana Strum. Hello and welcome, Earl Skakel. I love your intro in that stand-up show. Like, Hell yeah. They forget your last name. Like, that was, uh, you're talking about Roast Battle, that was in a sparsely populated, as you could hear from the crowd, belly room show. Just as Roast Battle was waiting for us to get done with our dumb shit so they could do the thing that was on TV. Oh, that's the worst show to have is right before Roast Battle. That's the only show I do. <laughs> because everyone <laughs> wants Roast Battle, so I can yeah. get the stand-up out of the way. And... Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's me. Hey, it's you're at the comedy store. Take I it. I know. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, nice to meet you. We were introduced on Twitter this week. Somebody realized that we have a mutual affinity for for hair farmers. I mean, it, it's a genre of music and a time that we'll never see again. That's for sure. Which some may say is good, given some of the bands we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I sound like my parents when they would tell me you had to be there when Elvis was doing his thing. But uh, you had to be there on the strip to appreciate what was going on. It was because this is before the Internet. So the bands themselves had to hit the strip and pass out flyers and put them up on polls and uh, you know you can do an instagram post hey rats at you know the whiskey tonight they had to go and poster flyers and so it's just like girls that look like guys you know guys that look like girls it was just like from doheny to crescent heights on sunset it was just like an ant farm of horny people you were there i was there like i live older than i realize i'm 51 okay oh right yeah uh, so that was yeah prime time so when I was, where, where are you from? I'm from L.A., born and raised. Oh shit! Okay. So I grew up in Bel Air, and when I tell people that, they're like, "Oh, you're rich," but uh, my Bel Air in the '60s was just uh, a hillside. It was nothing special. It was like Culver City, and that's not a slam on Culver City. Uh, yeah, Culver and, City doesn't suck anymore either. Yeah, but, but yeah, but I, I get your drift. But there was a Malibu famous, wasn't a great place. Yeah, right. it was just a hillside and undeveloped, and uh, there was a Huge fire in Bel Air in the 60s that burned down every home but my dad's. Because my dad was literally on top of the roof with a garden hose. Uh, and so then Bel Air became, you know, like my neighbors as a kid were insane. Uh, OJ, uh, pre-double murder. And yeah, that uh, was the sweet spot for him. <laughs> yeah, the 70s OJ was cool. Uh, 80s, pretty cool. 90s, he ran into some problems. And, then, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, Will Chamberlain. Uh, James Kahn. I mean, it was like a 70s icon, you know. Uh, and there were no black people in Bel Air. So Kareem, to me... Mm-hmm. Uh, you just uh, made, made it seem like 75% of the people there were. Well, yeah, I named the two people that were black, <laughs> Kareem and Will Chamberlain and OJ. Yeah. And, uh, but it was so weird to see Kareem jogging in his uh, 
short shorts and goggles. He looked like an alien because he he was just. Earl, I realize you're funny for a living, but he did not jog in the goggles. Oh, I, when I saw him, he did, uh, <laughs> and he had, like, dolphin shorts on. So, like, it didn't leave a lot to the imagination. And he was a strange guy. Cause He's his, still a strange guy. He's well, always been a strange guy. Well, his home, I guess he had a phobia of corners. So his home looked like the Great Western Forum. It was a circle. Like, there were no corners. Uh, like, he probably couldn't come into the studio because, I guess... For whatever reason, he had a bad experience in the corner. I have actually spent time with him in a rectangular room, so he's made progress in that. Oh, good in he, that area. He was great at Halloween. He gave me a Vulcan neck pinch one time. Yeah, oh, he's uh, that Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee. It's like <laughs> it's crazy how long he's been around. I know. Uh, Wait, Halloween? Uh, yeah, Halloween. He would give out candy. Like he would just come out, and he was like this monster. He was so just gigantic. I'd never seen someone that big before. Yeah. And he would, you know, give us candy, and OJ never gave out candy. So what a dick! James Con did. Tom Jones always had a girl with him. Every Halloween, he'd have like a different girl. Right. So, and then Nicholas Cage bought his house mm-hmm. when Nicholas Cage was like making money. I, did Kareem build his house, or did he buy it? And I'm asking for a reason. You know, he's weird enough where I could see him building it, but mm-hmm. I don't know that. Uh, because I n- happen to know for a fact that Jackie Gleason must have had a thing about corners. Jackie Gleason constructed and lived in a, squ- a circular house that had a circular room in the center of it that he slept in in a circular bed. Like, okay. I so, mean, I think maybe... Uh, I don't know how you get hung up. I can, I can usually wrap my brain around how people get hung up on certain stuff that even if I wouldn't get hung up on it, the corner thing is real hard for me to understand why you would prioritize that. I mean, maybe they had a bad experience as a child in a corner, mm-hmm. like like, maybe like a bedwetting or, or something like that, because it does seem to be a, a strange... Yeah. Uh, but I have a fear of heights, so I, I get it, you know? Yeah, I do too. Well, everybody has a fear of heights. You have an irrational fear of heights. How does, it mani- how does your fear of heights manifest itself? Well, like the other day I went to Barney's because Barney's is closing down. It's like a legendary store in Beverly Hills. Uh, you know, it's just online sales of killed like, in-person, you know, retail. And I go up on the fourth floor where the men's uh, clothing is and I looked over the balcony and it's just like a, it's like that scene in Die Hard where you just look down and you just see all the the elevator shaft and I just got this queasy feeling in my stomach and I, I got dizzy and, you know, I had to sit down I get a strange pain in my feet, like an ache okay. in, in my feet when I look from heights. I mean, I don't get that, but I, Isn't you that know, odd. Uh, yeah, but like, yeah, no. Uh, I just, I get like, I got dizzy all of a sudden, right? Because I've never had a drug or drink in my life, so. Oh, you're one of those. Yeah, but I'm not like religious. No, like, I, uh, I get just you. Like, I, I wouldn't have guessed that about what. I mean, I not that I would. I can tell you're godless. I mean, <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, everyone thinks I'm stoned because the way I talk, right? And, you know, the slow speech, uh, but so I experienced like when I have a phobia, I experience it all. Right, there's no running away yeah. from it, and there's no taking the edge off at the end of the night. Even yeah, I'm always interested in people like you, and I hate to prod. I'm sure you've been asked about it a million times. Why do you think? So you've literally never had a sip of alcohol. I've never had no alcohol has ever entered into my body. And what is? Did you ever come close? And if so, what was the reason why you didn't? Well, my mom bribed me, to be completely honest with you, because I'm the uh, fifth of uh, five kids and uh, great brothers and sisters, but they may have had substance issues. I see. And I think she wanted to try and ensure that I'd be the, the pure kid. She needed a win. 
Yeah, and uh, but like my one sister graduated top of her class uh, at Stanford, you know, with John Elway that class. So I think eighty three. Eighty three is when he came out. Yeah, and so she was number one in her class. Uh, but uh, you know, she might have liked to drink or whatever. Work hard uh, and play hard. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No. Uh, like the eighties metal bands that we love. Right. Uh, <laughs> so work hard and play harder. Uh, but my mom said, if you don't drink till you're eighteen, I'll get you the car of your choice. Oh, within reason. Yeah. Right. Sure. So she took me with that, the day I turned 18 to, uh, I'll never forget, Ocean Motors on Santa Monica Boulevard. It's a BMW dealership. Mm-hmm. And they just took me into this warehouse of probably 100 BMWs. And the guy looks at me and just goes, pick. <laughs> you got the Mr. Miyagi Danielson. <laughs> I mean, it was, I, I'm, I still get giddy about it. It's yeah. It's literally like 35 years ago. And I'll never forget, my mom's hand was shaking writing the check <laughs> just paid for it in full and uh she was too nervous to drive home with me so she's like i'll take a cab you drive home so uh you know from santa monica to bel-air home it was i don't know maybe three or four miles and about halfway through i started noticing that the back of the car was smoking and i thought wow this is really weird and so i get home and the whole car looked like a kiss concert it was just you couldn't see the car it was just smoke everywhere and I was like, wow, I think we need to take this car back. And my dad's like, you have the emergency brake on, you idiot. <laughs> so I drove for like four miles pretty fast. Yeah. It was only four cylinders. but like, Yeah. So. Oh, I've done that. I've actually kind of uh, been disappointed in the emergency brake's inability to stop me. Because I always figured that's kind of what it was there for, at least in name. I mean, I think they, they really work when you reverse. But, go, oh, yeah? you know, going in drive, mm-hmm. I think you could pretty much... Uh, power through it yeah you. oh i've done it i've done it i've done all kinds i didn't drive from, from i grew up in new jersey went to high school in new york didn't get a driver's license didn't drive until i moved out here and i was 27 and it's it's like picking up a language you kind of need to do it when you're young or else you're never going to really master it this is what i tell myself right like i couldn't figure out how to i remember driving home one time and i had the um the uh the high beams on Oh, okay. And I thought that my car was broken and that only the high beams worked. I couldn't figure out how to turn them off and it didn't occur to me to check the book. So I drove home, I hate to say it, drunk in the you know sunset Hollywood area, alternately with high beams and no lights on. Oh, wow. So as to be inconspicuous. <laughs> yeah, that's really conspicuous <laughs> going like that. But yeah, I see so much weird stuff driving around the city late at yeah. night that that probably wouldn't have. Yeah. Like, oh, this guy's just, you know. Having a good time in this car. You've seen this city change a lot. Oh, yeah. I mean, the traffic's... I sound so old. That's what all anybody says when I ever ask people how the city's changed. That's what they bring up. Such a bummer. Well, just getting here was... You know, I live in West Hollywood. It's on paper a 10-minute drive. It'll be 27 minutes. Yeah. Not that that's like a back-breaking drive. No. uh, You know, there's construction they do in, in the daytime, which I don't really understand why they would do that. Yeah, I think at three in the morning it'd be easier just to do it and not have to deal with traffic. But you know, just on Santa Monica and La Brea, it's like it's all kinds of craziness. Yeah, you can't go too far without encountering some nonsense around here these days. So you went. So how old were you? Like, what's your first hair metal concert that you go to on the Strip? Well, my first concert was Springsteen at the Coliseum, but that's you what know, are, like we're talking about, like the River Tour. No. um born in the usa like his prime okay uh like 
Okay, it's a little later than I'm. I, I'm, I'm putting you like a like a, at like the Starwood in '81. Oh, I wish yeah, I'm right. obsessed with the Starwood. Uh, the Starwood is this legendary club that I associate. I think there's still some bootlegs of Motley Crue. You can find yeah. a track or two out there. What like where is the Starwood? What's the Starwood? I walk my dog by it every day. Hell yeah! And it's so sad to me that the club that basically broke Motley Crue, mm-hmm. Quiet Riot, mm-hmm. yes, uh, Van Halen. Uh, I think rat might have played an early show there when they were mickey rat uh it's a russian deli now bastards St- yeah it's a russian deli a massage parlor and uh like a vietnamese coffee joint so it's just like so legendary no respect uh but the owner of the starwood was his name was eddie nash and if you've ever seen boogie nights He's the guy that's loosely portrayed by Alfred Molina. In the end, he's the wild Arab guy. Oh, okay. Uh, and then in the movie uh, Wonderland, uh, Eric Bogosian played him. He was this crazy drug dealer. Like, he came out here from Palestine with 10 bucks in his pocket, started a hot dog stand on Hollywood Boulevard, and then became the number one cocaine dealer in the West Coast. So he truly is the city of dreams oh well it really is for him like yeah no it is you can come you really can come here and make yourself i think of that every time i pass a Chaz dean billboard oh that guy's all over the place it's just like you can fucking you can do it here man it doesn't matter what you grew up being or even looking like just come here and make yourself something new it can be done you know it's it's especially now i think it's easier with like billboards like Chaz dean and and uh, uh, does everybody know who he is is he famous or not i he well it's like a he's, makeup hairstyle guy, or he's hmm. famous for the wrong reasons now because I guess his product didn't work, so oh. it was causing people to lose their hair. So he had a lot of lawsuits about that. Uh, but in L.A., his billboards are everywhere. Yeah, and he's just kind of this weird looking. He almost looks like a lion. Like he's got that. Clearly had some plastic surgery, which is fine. He looks like if you made. Um... A, like a, a a sex robot, like a robotic sex doll out of like Siegfried and Roy? Yeah, no, it's, he looks like, to me, the cowardly lion, but I'm a <laughs> Wizard, Oz, Wizard of Oz guys, and I used to see the cowardly lion play golf at my dad's country club. Oh, Bert, whatever his name is. Bert Ives? Am I making that up? Ray Bolger? I Ugh. thought Ray Bolger was the cowardly lion. You are probably right. I'm probably wrong. I could tell you who the fourth base player in Dawkins was, but I'm I'm probably a little off on the Wizard of Oz. I don't go any deeper than Jeff Pilson. Uh, well, there's the, he's the one and only. Yeah. <laughs> when I met him at the comedy store, I've never been so starstruck in my life. You were in the Breaking the Chains video. Yeah. Just looks, it's like, dude, I don't want to talk about it. It's so funny how the hair metal guys always think that you're like about to pull the rug out on them when you just start talking oh, shop I, with them. Yeah, I get it. Like, you know, it was an era where, you know, Rat and most of their videos look like gay pirates. And, you know, I'm sure. That, that was the style at the time. Well, yeah, they wore women's clothing. Right. So, essentially. Because uh, I used to date the manager from Motorhead and uh, the female manager. There's two managers. Uh, and so she gave me all these uh, inside scoops of, like, their fashion. And they would just buy women's blouses. and Motorhead. Uh, no, she knew all, because uh, she was probably the number one promoter on the Sunset Strip mm-hmm. in the 80s. So I'd be like, hey, I want to get that shirt Stephen Piercy had in that video. And she's like, oh, that's a women's blouse. And right. he just cut it. So it was like a tutorial dating her. So you had the style. You had the vibe. I did. Uh, you know, my, I was into fashion comedy, but uh, I probably should have been working on my comedy a little more than the fashion. Okay, so how old are you and when do you hit the Strip? 
I mean, I'm 51, so, you know, born in 68, so, you know, in 86, 85, I was just about to turn 18, so I wasn't allowed into most of the clubs, uh, but uh, any party I had to go to, I had to take Sunset, you know, to go to the Hollywood Hills, so I was, uh, I had to drive through the madness, and it was just, you you can't describe it, you know, because there was no internet, there was no Netflix, there was no YouTube, so if you wanted to go out and listen to music, you had to go out. So, you know, the, the Sunset Strip from, say, Doheny to Crescent Heights, which is about a three-mile radius in L.A., was just packed every weekend. Uh, and even on weekdays, it was crazy. And how long did you stick with it? Oh, I still, st- I, I never left it. But, like, I'm I'm a fan. I was following it from afar in New Jersey, but uh, many of, almost most of my favorite bands are the bands who, unfortunately, came after grunge. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, it was de- I mean, there was definitely the writing on the wall. I think. Uh, oh, the writing was blatantly. Even you know, I, I wasn't that. Del- I mean, I also had Pearl Jam and Nirvana albums. I wasn't a complete idiot. But see, I find it funny that those bands uh, basically killed uh, metal, uh, but they were bands of that genre. Like the guys in Pearl Jam loved Rat. You know, uh, the guys in Alice in Chains were huge Kiss fans. I'm so. led to believe that they were glamier in earlier incarnations Alice in Chains oh sure even Guns N' Roses which uh, doesn't get the credit for almost being the first grunge band mm-hmm. uh, they were if you look at some of the flyers when they played uh, Madame Wong's which was a Asian club in Santa Monica they looked like a slightly rougher version of Poison yeah absolutely yeah I, I tried to drag that out of Brett Michaels I think in the studio sitting right over there about um Slash having auditioned for Poison, I think he may have even been in Poison for like a weekend that um, I don't understand why it is so important to Guns N' Roses to deny that they ever liked or participated in the glam metal stuff. To me, Guns N' Roses was so great because they were all the hair metal stuff put together plus classic rock and punk and yeah. country and anticipating what was to come, the rawness and the, and the realness of it and getting rid of that the, the facade of the, the 80s stuff. And he just, he wouldn't, I was like... Slash like poison, right? I mean, he was fucking in poison for a minute. You can say he, Brett Michaels is a politician. He's he's not going to give you that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Brett likes to fancy himself as like the, the Robert Plant of 80s metal. Well, like, no, a lot of guys think they're the Robert Plant of 80s metal. What do you mean by that? Well, I think uh, even he kind of runs from the image of, of some of their videos and, and their album covers. And, uh-huh. You know, we're a band. And it's like, dude, you, you guys look like chicks. Like, yes, you're a band. Yeah, I just- told him he was the second hottest guy in his in his band. I, like, I, I think I might have masturbated to a 45 single to talk dirty to me. Oh, absolutely. Like that first album cover of Look What the Cat Tracked In, you know, C.C. DeVille looks like Pam Anderson. Yeah. And, you know, Bobby Dahl, who's not a real looker as a male. Yeah. Like, it's like, this guy kind of looks like Paulina Porzkova. Yeah. Uh, I was a Ricky guy, personally. Ricky was a good looking guy. Uh, Ricky was fucking winking on the cover of the, uh, of, of, I think it was the cover. Yeah. Of the album. Uh, but then I just think the images don't necessarily hold up. Yeah. So I think they're a little embarrassed by mm-hmm. it. But it's like it was such a great time. Like Yeah. And I tried to get at the core of the the glam paradox, which is these guys I think there were definitely a couple of um closeted homosexuals in the scene. Oh yeah. But I think that by and large what they were selling is what they really were, which was incredibly hetero, pretty much homophobic dudes who 
competed with one another to see who could look and act the most like a woman. It's fucking really, really, really fascinating if you think about it. And all Brett would give me on that, again, being a politician, was, you know, we just wanted something that would attract attention. And what was what was an outrageous thing that we could do? And I was like, well, there's a lot of outrageous things. Guar did an outrageous thing, but you didn't do that. You guys looked like a gangbang in a porn in an 80s porn movie. Well, I don't even know if it was like uh, repressed homosexuality. I don't think it was. That's that's it's not. That would be a simple answer. That wouldn't be any fun. It's it's much more complicated than that. I think, but I see. I don't think it is that complicated. I think these guys were so horny uh-huh. and so sexually deviant that uh, they were straight. But and this is going to sound crazy to guys like you and me. You know, I, I've done all right with women, but uh, I, I think. At a certain point, they needed something else to get off on. Like, they could see a hot Hawaiian tropics girl walk in and go, I've had sex with hundreds of girls who look like that, but that guy's pretty cute. Like, for they, you know, I mean, women were a gateway drug to dick. Oh, wow. It, you know, it's, this is a theory I have not encountered before. Well, I, it sounds crazy, <laughs> it, but like, you know, I don't know how many girls I've been with, but I haven't been with enough where I wanted to make the switch to dudes. No, I don't think that that's a. I don't think that that's a real thing. I think maybe it's a real thing unless freebasing's involved. Well, I mean, you take. A I don't think that, you can get bored of. I don't think you get bored of vaginas. I do think you can freebase enough that you you widen your palate. I think you can get bored of women. Like, okay, I'm talking about like David Lee Roth. Like, and this is why I probably haven't made it in comedy yet because I think about stuff like this. Go for it. You know. David Lee Roth has been getting laid since the early 70s. Yes. Here we are in 2020. He's still getting laid. And mm-hmm. I just think Paul Stanley is the same thing. You know, these guys have been with thousands of women. And I think at some point, as you get older, you need something to stimulate you. Mm-hmm. And you get bored. You think that's why Paul's gay now? Yeah, to be honest with you, like, you know, here's a guy who has, uh, you know, it's like if you eat hamburger every day for 40 years, you're going to want a hot dog. You know, it's crazy. I can't. Whoa, Jesus. I pulled down the wrong fader. No, no. Speak of the devil. Now, I find it very interesting. I asked you to tell me some of your, some of your favorite 80s hair metal acts. I was very surprised. You're already bopping in your seat to the strains of lick it up by kiss that a that kiss was on the top of your list and that you specifically wanted to point out that you love 80s kiss i always thought that 80s kiss was sort of like the way super duper hardcore star wars fans feel about maybe not the prequels but the new ones like i loved the prime stuff so much that i'm i'm just gleaning what i can from the new stuff I think that's the perfect analogy. Thank you. Uh, and I, no, it really is because, uh, like, the Vinnie Vincent era of Kiss, uh, most fans do not like. Is uh, Vinnie Vincent on Lick It Up? He wrote Lick It Up. Shout out to Vinnie Vincent, who's now living as a woman. Like it's Vinnie is. Yes. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, hold on. It's like we could do two hours on Vinnie Vincent alone. I've got nowhere to be. Well, I don't either until about uh, <laughs> one in the morning at the comedy <laughs> store. So. Uh, All right, so Vinnie Vincent was, was he the second guitar player? He replaced Ace. Okay, right. And let me just tell you what I know about Vinny is he goes on to start the Vinnie Vincent Invasion after Kiss. We'll get to them. That's a whole other ball of wax. 
I know that he was, I didn't know what he was doing for forever, but I know that he was supposed to make some live performances, which he hadn't done in a really long time. And I just came into that storyline with the news that, hey guys, I'm going to just pump the brakes on this for a second. I really want it to be great and I'm not quite ready to come back and perform again, but trust me, it, 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 it is just a pause. It is going to happen. You're giving me a wrinkle to that story I had no idea about. Well, an additional wrinkle is, I don't know, maybe about 20 years ago, he put out a box set on cassette, which is the first red flag. Uh, and I bought it. It was like 150 bucks. Uh, so I buy it. I get this thing in the mail. Did you also buy a cassette player when you bought it? Oh, I already had several. <laughs> I was way ahead of the thinking of that purchase. So uh, this pink guitar case comes in the mail. It's like a, a, a bit mini guitar case. Uh, said, oh, that's a cool way to package this. And I remember getting it, and I pick it up, and it feels real light. Like, like I'm shaking it, and I don't hear anything in the box. And he ripped off a bunch of people by taking their money and sending out empty uh, box sets with nothing in it. Oh, it was a box without the set? Yeah. So, What was the set supposed to be? Like a bunch of new shit or six, a career retrospective? Or- yeah. Um, demos. uh you know, because he had written a bunch of demos for Animalize, which was the album after Lick It Up, but mm-hmm. he got kicked out. I mean, he was kicked out of Kiss three times in like a year and a half. Good for him. But he saved their career, which is the crazy thing. Uh, right, it, he, he saw them from the classic era into the 80s. Right, I mean, because uh, if you look at Kiss from, say, 70, really the wheels started to fall off with Kiss with the solo albums. When they did the four in one right. day, right? Released in one day. That was basically a move to keep uh, Peter and Ace happy. Uh, but then Ace had the only hit, uh, which was a cover, New York Groove. So I think that bolstered his confidence of maybe I don't need Kiss. And then Peter, for whatever reason, I don't need Kiss. I'm leaving. Eric Carr came in. And then they just started following trends. Like, 79, they had a disco hit. Uh, which is now their number one most streamed song online, believe it or not. Yeah, which uh, you know they Paul wrote with Desmond Child, who's this brilliant, probably the most prolific songwriter uh, of the last forty years. I have reason to believe Desmond Child's going to be a guest on the show very soon. I would I, I would pay you so I could just sit in the corner and because he is like I love his uh, songwriting. I mean, because he just doesn't write for metal bands. He's written for like Leanne Rhymes, yeah. uh, Cher. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I can't wait. Aerosmith. I mean, mm-hmm. like, this guy, I don't know why he's not talked about. It's kind of like Eddie Nash at the Starwood. It's like, I don't know why this guy, for completely different reasons. Nobody but. cares about songwriting. I've always, it's this gaping donut hole in the interest in music. Everyone cares about the new music video and what drugs are they on and what clothes are they wearing and who are they dating. And the only thing that nobody is interested in hearing artists talk about is the only reason why they're interested in the artists in the first place, which is where did this music come from? Well, he just had this formulaic, uh, almost like a copy and paste writing style of, okay, Aerosmith needs a ballad. Here's what it takes. Well, Rat wants to sound like Aerosmith. Here's uh, giving yourself away. Like, Okay. Well, okay. I don't, and I have a question. I didn't expect this to come up that I don't know if it's for you or for Desmond Child. Did he write Love and Use a Dirty Job by any chance? Uh, he wrote the... Uh, he, well, here's where you get into like weird areas. You, like, like, you know your shit. I love this. Well, I I got a lot of free time on my hands to research <laughs> this stuff, to be honest with uh-huh. you. Uh, he basically wrote the whole album uh, Detonator, 
with Rat mm-hmm. uh, because they were uh, label mates with Bon Jovi, and and obviously everyone in the recording industry saw what Desmond did for Bon Jovi. He, I don't know if he's the sole writer of Living on a Prayer, but he's in there. Uh, yeah, I mean, like if you look at, uh, I think Bon Jovi's first album, which I, they, it has my favorite song, She Don't Know Me, which was like their first video. Uh, is it self-titled or is that 7800? 78, yes. Yeah, okay. uh, but there was, uh, and it's the funniest video. Now, you talk about things that don't hold up. You know, the video for She Don't Know Me basically is John, t- John, like I know him, Bon Jovi chasing this girl. And at the end, she ends up in a bar and these two gangbangers try and assault her and John saves the day. It's like, come on, man. You're not beating up two, like, cholos. It's like Michael Jackson leading the Crips and Bloods and and uh, choreographed dance at the end of Beat It. It's like, this isn't really believable. Yeah, the 80s were great. I, they just made no sense. Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Dawkins is a video where just in a random point, a helicopter comes up from behind the drum kit. Hey, they knew a guy who could bring a helicopter. Yeah. That's I mean, pretty much what it comes down to. So stri- wait, we're off track here. So Vinnie Vincent. How so, does this, yeah. Uh, Kiss was falling off the chart. You mm-hmm. know, they had the big hit with Desmond Child, and then 1980, they do Unmasked, which is like a Cars album. And I love the Cars, so I didn't. But Kiss never had keyboards and backing vocals. And uh, and then uh, 81, they did The Elder, which was their, hey, we can be like Pink Floyd and The Wall, too. This is our, The Wall. And it's one of their better albums musically, but it's like, who who watches or who listens to Kiss for the music? You go for the show. Right, 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 right. They, they weren't a concept album band. Right. You know, like, you don't watch the Expendables for the acting. Um, but yeah, I just always felt bad for them because it is a good album, but it just it didn't work. And and then uh, Creatures of the Night mm-hmm. was kind of when Benny came in. You know, Creatures of the Night had, like, eight guitar players. It had the guy from Mr. Mr. Uh, That's Creatures of the Night, I Love It Loud. Right. right, I love okay. it loud. Uh, Brian Adams wrote two songs uh, yeah. with his songwriting partner uh, right before Heat blew up. Uh, so it's just kind of weird to see his name as a songwriter with Kiss. Uh, but this is Kiss was just going down with every album. They're trying everything, but they were still big in like South America. Uh, and then that's why they took the makeup off. It was just like, all right, you know, we got to do something drastic. And then Vinny had. I think played on three songs on Creatures of the Night. There's still arguments about who played on what. Uh, and then uh, Lick It Up, he wrote eight out of the ten songs. It, it, Lick It Up is basically a Vinnie Vincent solo album. No uh, shit. But he was only paid, like I think he said, a thousand bucks a week. So yeah. The backstory with Kiss to Me, I've never been a huge fan of the music. The backstory is a lot more interesting than the almost the story. Like Yeah, just who auditioned for Kiss. Yeah, like, uh, right. You know, Richie Sambora audition for Kiss. I, I don't even, I didn't know that. I don't even know how that could have happened. I thought he was with John Bon all the way from back in the Sayreville, New Jersey days. Shows what I know. Well, I think this is when Bon Jovi, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but Bon Jovi was like the rhythm guitar player in uh, Scandal. The Patti Smith band. Right. The Who, Goodbye to You. Right. So mm-hmm. I think the song they did before that, I, I might be wrong on this because I'm delving a little bit out of my area of expertise. I see. I think Scandal had a song called Love's Gonna Line On You, uh, and in the video, John Bon Jovi's in it. Oh, no shit. Just as, like, the the loser backup rhythm guy, like, he's behind the keyboard player, like, he's barely, but you're like, that's Bon Jovi. Uh, the fun fact with Patti Smith is, right, there's a Patti Smith and a Patti, Patti Smythe. Smythe yeah. She's the Patti Smythe. Right. Okay, is that 
supposedly the story goes, and I'm sure you know this, when David Lee Roth leaves Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen wanted her to be the new singer. Right. And I guess the label like essentially bribed him to get a male singer. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Van Halen brothers. Is, well, he auditioned, uh, well, if you believe Gene Simmons, uh, right. you know, which, you know, I love Gene. I've actually met you him. Do? You know, I like him because he's honest with who he is. He's a buffoon. Mm-hmm. He loves money. He loves women. His book, he wrote a little like the laws of power kind of right. like, what was it, Lao Tzu? No, it's not. He wrote the Tao Te Ching. You know what I mean. Right. He wrote his little version of that. And it's, I've never known him, having not followed him a great deal, to be so humble and self-effacing. He's actually very human in this weird little cash-in book that he did. I th- I think what he does better than almost anyone I've ever seen outside of Whitney Cummings, uh, I don't want to delve off into comedy, but like they're very similar from the standpoint of they can walk into any room and make you feel like you're the most important person in that room. Like Gene could come in here right now and talk mm-hmm. to me and, and have me thinking I'm the greatest comic on earth just because of his respect. I think he respects what other people do, and Whitney's very much the same. Like He has such a, rec- a track record of being so disrespectful to people. But I, I think with him, with some people, it's shtick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with him, it's real. Like, when I met him, it was the first time I met him was at a house party in Malibu. And he was with this girl. And the whole time, out of the corner of my eye, I see his right hand twitching. And I really thought, oh, he's, he's got early Alzheimer's. And I don't mean that in a kidding way. And then I start to notice he's fingering a girl as he's talking to me. And then he tries to sell me a KISS credit card with that hand he's been fingering this girl with for the last 20 minutes. I'm like, I'm good. But that's him. He had merch on his person? Yeah. He's so business mode. Like, he's pleasuring a woman, talking to me. Well, pleasuring's a strong word. He's he's, pleasuring himself. Yeah, but he's trying to pleasure this girl. I'd love to do a 30 for 30 on what happened to that girl. Uh, (laughs) I saw the sex tape, and I don't think he's pleasuring anybody. It's well, it's it's about as good as Hulk Hogan's sex tape. About yeah, they are the same caliber of lover. I think he called a girl brother at one point. <laughs> um, but I I just like it. You know, I'm around. Uh, you know, I'm full time stand up, so I'm around the biggest bullshitters on earth. Not very many people I'm around are honest. He is okay. I appreciate the honesty. So in conclusion, Vinnie Vincent is a woman now? Yeah, so, you know, he, he, he I'm so obsessed with him. So he gets kicked out of Kiss <laughs> like three times in a year and a half. Uh, most Kiss fans don't like him because he wasn't faithful to Ace's solos. Oh, I see. I, could, I get that. All right. You know, like I have a great bootleg of Kiss from uh, 1984 in San Bernardino, Lick It Up Tour, uh, and another one from Universal City in 1984, and it it was weird to hear Kiss played with technical proficiency because Vinny is a great guitar player. And Ace famously played memorable melodic solos, which is great that he did that, but it was also a, a byproduct of the fact that he didn't have elite chops in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. So see, if you did have them, you weren't going to stand around and just play melodies. He's very solo. sloppy. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the riff to Parasite is very memorable. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, Vinny played the songs with technical proficiency. They were very fast. Same thing with Eric Carr, the drummer. Yep. He was a much better drummer than Peter Chris. Sure. But that original four just had, 
it, there's no way Kiss should have made it as a band because, you know, Ace and Peter were like kind of lazy musicians, sloppy, some might say. <laughs> um, Peter was like a jazz drummer uh, or jazz a, a band of like Gene Krupa. You know, Eric Carr was the much better fit because he was like John Bonham style. Yeah. And, and, you know, Gene and Paul were workhorses. Ace and Peter were like, oh, let's just wing it. But they, it, it's like putting a cake with shit and lard in it and somehow it came out like peppermint. Well, it's just it's just chemistry. Um, I know even Billy Corgan says about the Smashing Pumpkins that they're really at their best when they've got James Eha and I think even Darcy when she is up to performing with them, even though James Eha's just not a good guitar player. And Darcy, you know, the joke I always tell, a guy told me one time that he knew a guy who went up to Darcy in a bar and said, hey, you and me have something in common. And she goes, what? And he goes, neither of us played a note on Siamese Dream. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's another podcast, <laughs> a radio show uh, about who played on what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. But it's just this weird thing that sometimes uh, the example that I'll use from our wheelhouse of expertise is to me guns and roses never recovered from matt sorum replacing steven adler despite the fact that matt sorum's a better drummer than steven adler it just wasn't guns and roses anymore yeah no it, it's you know bop boom bop boom he's just a human metronome yeah he's like yeah he's a drum machine yeah and people love him and he's played with everybody but he's just not it's it, it it doesn't have to be the right drummer for everybody it just has to be the right drummer for and also when you're all in the room as the sound is coming together you can't just you know, airlift somebody in later who wasn't a part of a of, of making that sound to later be a part of that sound. It, that rarely works. The only time it really works to bring in replacement guys is if the band sort of morphs into a slightly different thing that also works with new guy. Yeah, I mean, like Frank Ferrer, the drummer in Guns N' Roses now, he's a, obviously an amazing drummer, yeah. but uh, I, he's almost Vinnie Vincent, Vincenting the, the Guns N' Roses songs. So like, he's playing them in his style. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, like I love Slash's solo band. Uh, they're called Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. So when he, yes, when Slash, uh, Guns N' Roses is on break, Slash plays with them. Yeah, sure. And there, that that whole band is faithful to the way the Guns N' Roses songs were played on the records. So it's a, to me, it's almost like a better concert because yeah. you know the drummer Brent Fitz, who I'm friends with. Uh, he used to. It's a Kiss related. Uh, Brent used to drum for Bruce Kulick's band Union. Okay. Which I mean, we're doing a real deep dive now into Kiss. Is that Bruce and his brother? Well, no, Bruce and his brother don't really get along oh, okay. right now. Uh, but uh, Brent's like this drummer who could you could put him in, you know, Grand Funk Railroad, and he would play the songs as they were played for Grand. He's very good at. Like almost being like a predator and adapting, like a mimic. Yeah, right, right. And so, uh, so Vinnie Vincent's a woman now. But yeah, Vinnie. So long story short, Vinnie ripped off a lot of people. He disappeared basically for twenty years. He, mm-hmm. he uh, the only news story on Vinnie Vincent, and this gets the, into some sad subject matter. Like his ex-wife, apparently was a prostitute in Connecticut. She was found chopped up side of the road. Uh, so that was like the first thing anyone had ever heard from Vinny for a while and then the cops years later storm his house and he's got a bunch of dead uh, deceased dogs and Tupperware containers oh uh, so he's 
I guess eccentric <laughs> to say the least. And it, I, they said, "What are you doing with all these dead dogs?" He's like, "Oh, I love them, and I didn't have time to bury them." And uh, and then he recently, probably maybe two years ago, came out of hiding. Hey, I want to start playing music again. And I think he appeared at a Gene Simmons vault, uh, you know, which is like Gene's gigantic box set. And and obviously, I think Gene had probably had to make nice with Benny because publishing or whatever. You know, oh, I see. Right. If, if Gene was going to put out all the deep cuts, these were right. going to start getting into shit that Vinny had written. And... So, uh, you know, he just, uh, the clips online were not favorable. And, it, you know, he was wearing like these Hillary Clinton pantsuits and, uh, you know, he's got like boobies. Oh. Oh, love kills. Yeah. I, I had the greatest experience last year in Nashville, and it has something to do with this song. By the Vinnie Vincent Invasion. Yes, uh, with Mark Slaughter, which is crazy because mm-hmm. on the, the first singer uh, of the Vinnie Vincent Invasion was Robert Fleischman. The name does not ring a bell. It should, because he was the first singer in Journey. Oh, okay. He sang on the demos that got them signed, and then it was like, hey, we're going to go Steve Perry. Thanks. <laughs> Tough business. It's cold business music. Uh, but in the video for Boys Are Gonna Rock, which was, I think, the first Vinnie Vincent Invasion video, it's Robert Fleischman singing, but Mark Slaughter lip singing. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, right. So, yeah, there's two Vinnie Vincent albums, right? Right. And Fleischman's on the first one, but... Right. But, yeah, but Mark Slaughter is in the video. Yeah. Well, he looked the part. Oh, I mean, uh, and then, of course, Vinnie Vincent got kicked out of the Vinnie Vincent invasion, which is like, love kills. This is fucking solid. I don't know if everybody knows this. This was on the soundtrack to uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, I think, five. It's perfect. In a great video at the end, when, uh, during the solo, Vinnie puts on the Freddy Krueger glove. Perfect. Love it. Uh, Like, this is a good song. See, I have a weird relationship with with hair metal because of, do I like it for nostalgic reasons? Like, duh, of course I do. But because hair metal happened in a cassette era, I didn't get my hands on the music of every band I'd heard of. I was familiar that, but I knew Slaughter obviously, and I knew that they'd come from Vinnie Vincent Invasion. I had never heard this. I only got around to listening to this for the first time maybe a year ago, and I'm just like, okay, this is fucking awesome. I mean, so I, it's hard to say it's nostalgia. I guess you could say, well, you're nostalgic for the sound, which makes you more open to enjoying something new performed in the same style. Can't deny that. But I, 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 I never, man, he was the worst rubber plant of all the rubber plants. Well, that, that you know, the, some of the images uh, definitely don't hold up, but like. No, yeah, the, the videos are, are, are laughable. But find, a, find an interview of Nikki Six being interviewed from the 80s, and he is, he is, a, like, Spinal Tap would struggle to lower themselves to his level of pompous stupidity. Well, I think he's like the B version of Gene Simmons. Oh, for sure he is. Well, and them getting fucking blowing up their reunion, no reunion clause, and doing it again was just the the, the kissiest kiss. Poor man's Nikki uh, Gene Simmons thinks that Nikki Six could have ever done. It but was he, perfect. Even that's a copy because, like you said, I went to the Kiss farewell tour in '95, and Hell I yeah. went to every LA show thinking this is it. Yeah. And now I'm going to see them in March uh, <laughs> it, in 2020. Ozzy did the same thing. With, uh, I think '91 it was no more tours. I think he's doing no more tours two or three well, now. I don't know if he's going to get there, but yeah. uh, 
you know, I, Nikki's just kind of following in Gene's footsteps. And uh, but you know, this is if you take if you don't show people uh, this video and mm-hmm. you just say listen to this song, the musicianship is good. It's great. You know, but that's the thing is if you show people the video, they're like, oh my god, you know, because then you have Bobby Rock, the drummer who went on to Nelson after. He's just gigantic, you know, muscle-bound drummer who's a great drummer. Like, he is, uh, you know, he's a jazz-influenced drummer. And, you know, you, you he's put out all these drum instructional videos. But then you show people a picture of Bobby Rock. It's like, oh. Same thing with Rat. You know, Warren D. Martini is an amazing guitar player. I saw him play a Zappa tribute uh maybe about a year or two ago. And, you know, Zappa music is very complicated music. Of course. Uh, and he played it perfectly. But then if you were to show people, oh, yeah. So my first metal concert was Kiss, Slaughter, and Winger, Long Beach Arena. It's a solid lineup. I mean, Kiss needed Slaughter and Winger on the bill to sell tickets, which is crazy. It's the Hot in the Shade tour, which is the the best opening of a show I think I've ever seen when Kiss the whole arena goes dark they had the Sphinx right Sphinx and the, uh, the mouth opens up and they had these green lasers and the whole band has their fists in the air like they're in a lineup and it's like see I'm so cheesy I liked the ballad off of Hot in the Shade forever I think it's, a, I think it's that's that's my favorite 80s Kiss song you know who wrote it right is it Desmond Child no, no it, who? Michael Bolton yeah, sounds about right. I think I did know that because I had the uh, I bought the the tabliature right. sheet music so I could try to play it on guitar and I you know you, yeah I would read the credits. I was a credit reading kind of kid. Oh yeah, I mean, but that was you know Kiss chasing trends. Uh, yeah, you know they they had the ballad. Well, they had an album run of literally like every album was different. Like you know, like I said, you know, Dynasty was disco, uh, Unmasked was the Cars, uh, The Elder was Pink Floyd. Creatures of the Night was basically oh, Judas Priest and Iron Maiden are coming. We got to kind of mimic that sound. And then Ozzy, Bark of the Moon, well, all right, we need Lick It Up. And then Animalize, uh, you know, Asylum was, uh, you know, all right, we have to look like Bon Jovi when they ended up looking like B. Arthur. Uh, they sure did, boy. That, not a good look. Paul, I always picture Paul looking in, like, um, looking in the mirror and getting angry at himself for not being a pretty enough girl. Like, kind of like one of the lesser Heathers. Right. I mean, it was just, <laughs> you know, that era. Because like, nobody wanted to be a pretty girl more than Paul did in the 80s. I would say from 86 to 89, it was all about looks. Yeah. Uh, so every band was chasing Bon Jovi because he's a great looking guy. Sebastian Bach is the pinnacle of the entire, what the, 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 the whole project that the whole scene was working on found its final form in Sebastian Bach. I mean, he's the best hair metal singer and he's the, he was the hottest chick. Oh, I mean, he, you look at him in the, I remember you video and like, that's a girl. He's gorgeous. Um, but you know, you had maybe the uglier bands like Kiss uh, and here they've all been laid more than everyone in this building put together sure. but uh, you know, like the Crazy Nights uh, album was them definitely trying to, we have to be Bon Jovi yeah oh yeah uh, and they hired uh, this shows you how much they were copycatters uh, Heart was blowing up at the time you know their comeback you know with uh, Alone and These Dreams and yeah uh, the which pro- they deny I've had uh, Ann Wilson on the show she denier- denies it had anything to do with hair metal what 
if those are two dudes, they're Nelson. Uh, right. And that's not an insult. Uh, they're great musicians, but like it was clearly the way they looked. They looked like Cinderella. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they had this guy producing named Ron Nevison, uh, who was responsible for Heart's sound at that time. And Kiss was like, that's what we want. And he did Crazy Nights, which sound, the whole album sounds like a Heart Bon Jovi. You know, of course, Desmond Chow was brought in to write a few songs. Yeah. That's exactly where I came in. And maybe it's just that first impressions are hard to overcome because that's exactly when I got into hair metal is the, is when they were still shilling Crazy Nights. But I love that album, which most Kiss fans yeah. will be like, this is their worst Kiss album by far. You know, Britney Fox, Girls School. I, you go so deep that you listen to stuff that even I'm mildly embarrassed by. Funny story about this. It, it, it's only funny if you've seen the video. Uh, you know, they're in a classroom with all hot chicks, no dudes in this school. And the teacher uh, is like this famous, I'll say LA famous character actress. And I reached out to her uh, to be on my podcast because I, I want weird guests. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, And I'm like, hey, will you come on my podcast and talk about the Britney Fox video and she's like no don't contact me again <laughs> really I just I thought it'd be a fun interview like you know you're this very uh, accomplished actress you know she's like Broadway trained and all that stuff like how did you get roped into a Britney Fox video and she's basically was like I don't want to talk about it leave me alone yeah Britney, so. I could see how Britney Fox would have left a bad taste in somebody's mouth they were diet Cinderella they sure were but there's a reason, though. Michael Kelly Smith was the original guitar player in Cinderella. Yeah. And he was basically kicked out of the band for being ugly. Or not good-looking enough. So he Which for- could happen in those days. Well, yeah, I mean... No, know- I've seen that. I've heard that story a million times. Well, I was that- around bands at the tail end, and guys, it was, it was very looks-oriented. Well, that's why a band like Tesla, although they made it, yeah. I don't think they ever fully got what they should have on their talent. Because they look like an Amber Alert lineup, uh, you know. <laughs> you know, Poison looked like four girls. Cinderella, good-looking band. Uh, Def Leppard, relatively good-looking band. Yeah. Uh, you know, at least he had the fun jeans with all the razored-up holes in them and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and the dr- drummer has one arm. I mean, I think it's kind of screwed up. They make him play the maracha on the acoustic song, but like, it's you know, because I saw them in concert recently. Too soon, Earl. Too soon. But yeah, Jeff Keith looked like he wandered off the set of Deliverance. Yeah, and the other four weren't exactly lookers. No. Uh, so it's just unfortunate. Some of the inst- and Britney Fox was not the best looking group of I guys see. either. Well, they made it work at least for this one. And run. Believe it or not, we are already out of time. I could. I I had a list of your acts to uh, to talk through, and I wanted to share some of my own personal favorites. Maybe we'll do this again sometime. I would love to. It's just you go down a rabbit hole with this music. I know you do. It's uh, it's fun to. It's fun to listen to, but it's almost more fun to to, to talk about. I had a I, st- I kept going to a guy who cut my hair for like several years after I it was no longer convenient for me to go to him just because he told me silly hair metal stories. I get my leather pants made by this guy <laughs> who made save, leather. We gotta, we gotta go save it for next time. Yes. <laughs> uh, the inappropriate Earl Con uh, podcast. You're at Earl Skate. Well, thanks, buddy. Thank you.